Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. Okay, here I am with another episode where I'm having some pretty big feelings. I apologize in advance if I say anything that is offensive to anybody or if you feel alienated by the comments that I'm about to make. I really do hate making people feel bad and that is not at all my intention here Um, and I don't want anyone to feel judged. What I do want to do in this episode is talk about the feelings that people experience when their dog bites their children and what we can do about it. So today's podcast episode is happening because a good friend of mine shared with me a post that she saw in a Facebook group where somebody was asking for help because their golden retriever bit two of their children on separate occasions, both of which landing landed the children in the emergency room for a couple of stitches to the face. And the person was asking for advice on what to do. So I am going to break this podcast episode down into four separate components. Some of this, I have some notes and some of it is going to be stream of consciousness. And there's a really good chance that I'm not going to include um, an important point, but not because I don't believe it, but just because my brain is a sieve and I didn't remember to say it. Um, But feel free to message me and we can talk about this further Um, we can also do future episodes about this because this happens a lot. For those of you that are listening that are parents, I need you to feel seen and I need you to understand who to ask advice from and, and how to take that advice. If you're a dog professional listening to this podcast, we need to have a really serious conversation about how we react to parents who are in crisis and whether or not this is the kind of case that you really should be seeing and what to do about it instead. Um, So I'm going to break my comments sort of into several sections. So the first section is about giving and getting advice in general, right? So if somebody is in crisis, um, who should they ask for advice from? How do they make that decision? The next category I want to talk about is the dog itself, because we are all here because we love dogs and we want to support the dog. But there's more to it than that. So another component I'm going to be talking about is parenting. And I speak as a parent. I have some authority on this issue. I was also a teacher for 16 years dealing with parents all that time. So I understand what it's like to be in the shoes and to work with people who are in the shoes. And as a dog and child specialist, I exclusively work with parents and there are a lot of big feelings and emotions and guilt that are happening there. And I want to address that. And then the final category that I want to talk about today is the children themselves um, because they get vilified in a lot of these Facebook groups um, and they are children, right? They're not many adults and we need to have a really appropriate set of expectations for what children are like and what it's like to parent children. 
Okay, so buckle your seatbelt. We're going to dive in a little bit. And again, I just want to reiterate what um, triggered this post, which was that a parent um, was struggling. And I'm going to read some of the comment that that this post was about. So here it, it, here it goes. My golden bit my 10-year-old daughter in the face and she got three stitches. This is after sending my 12-year-old to the ER four months ago for a similar bite. I know he's reacting and they are possibly invading his space, but we have had him for two years and spent countless hours training him. I love him so much, but I need to keep my family safe and I need to have the dog in an environment that he feels safe in. Not looking for judgment, just advice on what my next steps should be. Okay, so let's talk about this on all the the components that I mentioned before. Advice, the dog, the parenting, and the kids. Let's start with advice. Who should you ask for advice when something traumatizing has happened or something medical is going on? Well, I, <laughs> my first instinct is to tell you that you should not be asking random people on the internet. You should not be asking new dog owners or um, your neighbors or anybody else. You should go straight to a respected professional. I mean, it it seems like common sense, and I don't know if people are just feeling so confused and scared and desperate that they just go to Facebook. And I'm, you know, I'm the same. I go to Facebook and ask for all kinds of things, but I tend not to ask for medical advice or something really urgent. It's more like who can recommend a good plumber or something like that, right? Who, what's your favorite restaurant? But not things that potentially could be life-altering. I think it's really important to consider the stakes of the question you're asking. And in this particular case, this dog has put two of her children in the emergency room, and so the stakes are high. And the risk that her children experience by living alongside this dog is high. And so advice should be taken from somebody who has professional experience, not just as a dog trainer or a behavior consultant or anything else like that, but maybe a dog professional who is also a parent. Now, this is the part I wasn't sure if I should say. I don't want to make any enemies here. And I'm not saying that dog trainers who don't have children are not qualified to support a person like this. But I do think that if you have the choice of hiring any dog professional, I really think it might be in your best interest to hire a dog professional who either has kids or has a background in education or child development. Because th- this is a complicated situation and it requires so much empathy and compassion, which a lot of people have. You don't have to be a parent to have that. But you need to know how hard it is to be a parent. I mean, it is much harder than just slapping up a baby gate and calling it good. Because kids are busy and kids are sneaky and dogs are busy and dogs are sneaky. And to juggle all of those shenanigans at the same time almost takes superpowers. And I think that a lot of people don't really understand what it takes and they're not super realistic about what it takes. And so, you know, obviously this is my own podcast, so I guess I can promote myself here. But at the end of the day, I really wish more people knew that dog and child specialists exist, right? If you're pregnant or adopting a child, you should be getting your dog ready for baby and you should consult 
a dog and child specialist for that, right? Um, if you have kids, if you have unpredictable toddlers, you need a specialist who can support you, who understands child development. And a lot of people may have those skills, but I think that if you're interviewing dog trainers or dog behavior consultants or family dog mediators, I think it would be in your best interest to ask if they like kids, if they understand what it's like to live with kids, if they can serve you without judgment, because maybe your kids are not neurotypical, or maybe your kids have extra big feelings, or your kids are challenging and don't fit in the little box of like a sweet little girl who plays with dolls. I mean, that's nonsense, right? And so I think getting away from stereotypes and working with a dog professional who really gets it would help in this particular case. So I like that Facebook exists and I like that people can feel supported, but I would much rather people feel supported from, you know, a membership like my Pooch Parenting Society, for example, which is one of the only memberships for parents with dogs so that you know that you get support and you're in it with other parents who want the best for their kids and dogs. And things change over time when you're a parent and when you have kids, right? Your kids are constantly changing as they grow and develop and your dog is too. And sometimes it just helps to have somebody on your shoulder who can coach you through these things. Um, it's also just so important that people are not asking advice when it's sort of the blind leading the blind. And some of these groups are so critical and judgmental and mean. And this parent really was vulnerable by posting that. That's a really hard thing to post. And I compliment her for being brave and courageous. And some of the comments that happened in response to her question were really mean. And that's unnecessary because she is punishing herself enough as it is. And she doesn't need to be judged for doing that and blamed for having horrible, evil children who don't respect boundaries. I mean, nobody needs to be treated that way. And it's going to make her question any advice moving forward. And then she's going to try to solve this on her own, which she's not qualified to do, which is obvious because two bites have happened, right? And I'm not saying that in judgment. I'm just saying there is evidence that shows that she doesn't know what to do. And that's okay. Most of us don't know what to do, right? We learn from experiences. And in this case, it's a terrible experience to have to learn from. Okay, so that is sort of my little bit on where you should be asking for advice. You know, I think there are a few credentials that you should be looking for. We want to work with dog professionals that don't use pain or fear or force or intimidation to get the dogs to act in a certain way. You need someone who's going to work within your budget, right? And you need to be honest about what your capacity is. Do you have a budget? Because this is going to take some money to solve, possibly, depending on if the dog is able to stay in the home. And in this particular case, I'm not really sure that's the best option, frankly, but we'll get to that in a bit. Okay, so that's the advice. I'm gonna file that little sticky note away. And now let's get to the dog itself. People often choose a breed of dog because it has a reputation for being a certain way. Um, golden retrievers are a very popular family dog. Um, and, you know, that's fine. But golden retrievers, these days are not all what they used to be. We see a lot more resource guarding. We see a lot more sensitivity to their environment. They're a little bit less stable than they used to be. And this is just based on my experience and what I have seen through my job. 
And it is certainly not a rule. And there are still plenty of nice golden retrievers out there. So please don't come after me for that statement. But things are changing. And there are a variety of things that influence a dog's behavior. And we need to think about all of those. We can't just make an assumption that because we're getting a golden retriever, we are going to have a good family dog. We have to look at several components. Um, I'm a family dog mediator and through the work of Kim Brophy, there are a lot of us out here that are talking about looking at four components of the dog's behavior. We call them the dog's legs, L-E-G-S. The L stands for the dog's learning history. What has the dog learned? Is the dog afraid of children because it has learned that children are unsafe? And so the dog is biting the children as a way of getting space from those kids, saying, get off of me, get away from me. You're not listening to my stress cues, so I have to bite you to get the space that I need, right? So that's the L. The E is the environment in which they're in. Some dogs really don't like living in a chaotic, stressful, noisy, busy household. It really doesn't suit them. And so we need to make sure that we're listening to those dogs by reading their body language and really understanding if that dog should be living in that household. And if not, what would be a better environment to suit that dog so that that dog can be as successful as possible? The G is genetics. And we have to acknowledge genetics and not just genetics, but epigenetics. This is a really interesting growing field that talks about how um, genetic markers essentially can be turned on and off due to environmental stimuli, due to pressures inside the in utero when the dog's mother was pregnant, experiences the mother has had will then influence the behavior of the children. It could be Um, Your genetics can be influenced by the diet that you're fed, by the pollution in the area, etc. It's fascinating and it's a growing field. If you're interested in science and getting nerdy, then then look that stuff up. It's amazing. But, um, you know, I I had a really interesting experience recently, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this, but... Uh, genetics plays a big enough role in the dog that I usually advise my clients to meet the parents of whatever dog they are getting, if that's possible, right? So if you're getting a dog from a breeder, I encourage people to meet the parent dogs. So I had to take my own advice. I was considering getting a dog from a breeder. I had been talking to this guy for a really long time. I liked a lot of what he was doing and I had not met him yet. I mean, I had met him a long time ago, but I had not met his dogs. And so I went to meet him and one of his pregnant dogs who there was a chance that I would get a puppy from that litter. And when I got there, the dog was so extraordinarily stressed out by my presence that she launched herself at me and bit me, bit me really hard. And it, it was, it broke me. I mean, I was questioning myself. I was questioning my judgment. I was questioning my skills. Um, But I noticed her stress and I started giving her appeasing signals and I turned my body. I averted my gaze. I did everything I possibly could to let her know that I was not a threat. But that did not matter to her. She had huge feelings and bit me hard. I still, months later, am marked. I have teeth marks still on the back of my leg. And I don't know if they'll ever go away. Um, but I do not want a puppy from a dog who is having such big feelings that those puppies are bathed in those stressful hormones. So the genetics is, is an important part. Um, 
Also, I don't necessarily want a puppy from a dog who is inclined to bite when the dog has other options other than biting. So sorry, I digress there a little bit, but I do want to get back to this. So L, learning, E, environment, G, genetics, S is self. And self can be anything. It can be allergies. It can be personality. It can be um, preferences of what kind of food they like or don't like, right? So self is their individuality. And just because golden retrievers in general may be good with children doesn't mean they all are. We have to look at the individual dog always because there are individuals that don't fit a particular mold. One more quick story. I had a a client. um, They had two really beautiful, lovely, well-behaved children. They were not toddlers. They were old enough to follow directions and, and take you know, feedback from me. Really nice parents, super amazing family. They wanted a good family dog and they got a golden retriever puppy and everything was fine for a little while. And then the dog started attacking family members and not just in play. Um, and they were in fear all the time. And it led me to encourage them to see a vet, to see if there was a medical problem, to see if there was a hormone imbalance or a chemical imbalance, or maybe there was something wrong inside the dog's brain. I don't really know. Um, It was a really difficult situation, and I advised them to return that dog to the breeder, which completely broke their hearts because they got a golden retriever puppy to be a good family dog, and this shattered their image of what they thought a good family pet should be. So I just want you to kind of consider that that the dog is an individual. The dog is not a representation of an entire breed. We have to look at that specific dog. Now, in this particular case, the woman is saying that the dog bit two of her children. And the most important thing we need to look at immediately is the dog's health. A lot of dogs bite because they're in pain. So for example, if your dog has an ear infection or if you have an old dog who's arthritic, like my old girl Barley, that if you go to pet that dog on their infected ear or on their arthritic hip, they may experience pain and therefore they may lash out and bite you because it hurt and they're asking you to stop doing what you're doing. But in this particular case, it's unclear as to whether or not pain was an issue, but that would be the first piece of advice that I would give to this woman. Now, you have to remember, she's not a client of mine. This is a brief post, and I would really, if she were my client, we would dive in and we would do a really big deep dive into the history of the dog and try to understand who the dog is and what the dog likes and doesn't like and all these kinds of things. But the health Um, is a really big component and I think that it's irresponsible to try to change dog behavior if there's an underlying health issue because you know it's not a personality thing it's literally a health thing and so we need to address that first. We need to talk about also the dog's routine and patterns And if this dog is living in an environment that's unpredictable or if it's living in an environment that's structured. And that does relate to parenting, but it also just relates to the dog trying to understand who he or she is in that family. What's its role? Um, Does it have to protect the family or is the family going to protect the dog, right? So a lot of dogs will give themselves a job if they're unclear, um, 
if somebody else is going to take responsibility. We need to also consider the possibility that this dog just doesn't like kids. And that is okay. Not all dogs like kids and not all dogs should be forced to live in a family environment that doesn't fit what they need. And lastly, in regards to the dog, and I'm sure I'm going to miss some things, um, so please forgive me. But lastly, a lot of the comments were suggesting that in the meantime, while the woman figures out what to do, that she uh, puts a muzzle on the dog. And I just need to say that um, I think it's really important that you acknowledge that a muzzle may prevent something unsafe from happening, but it does not change how the dog feels. So we need to realize that this dog is biting most likely because it's having some big feelings and putting a muzzle on it is kind of like putting a band-aid on a scab because you don't want to pick at it or you don't want it to bleed on your sheets at night. Um, it's not solving the underlying problem. Um, but it is a good safety mechanism. I'm, I'm, I love muzzles and I have muzzle trained one of my dogs for a plethora of reasons. And it makes me feel much better in certain situations that she can wear a muzzle. But it doesn't necessarily change how my dog feels when she is muzzled. And if she were st still feeling threatened, she would still express those big feelings. She just wouldn't be able to do damage while doing so. So muzzle training is great and I'm a big fan, but I, I do think it's important to note that it's not going to solve a problem. It's just one of the pieces of how we use management to help a dog not cause more damage. Okay, now we need to talk about parenting because this is more difficult than anyone can possibly imagine if they have not walked in these shoes. So we always joke uh, that I was the best parent until I had kids, right? So it's so easy to sit in judgment of how other people are doing things. Maybe we see other people whose kids are behaving inappropriately in the grocery store and we think, oh, if I had kids, they would never act like that. Or maybe somebody's kids are wild and rude in a restaurant and making the experience uncomfortable for other diners and the parents don't seem to be doing anything about it to change that behavior. And it's very easy to judge and think, oh, why aren't they doing their job as parents? It should be much you know, easier than that to control their kids. And kids are difficult to, quote, control. And I would like people to kind of rethink how that, how we frame that, how we look at that. It's also the same thing with dogs. Um, we're not going to necessarily, quote, control our dogs. But what we can do is we can optimize the environment in which we see more of the behavior we like and less of the behavior we don't. But we also have to really look at all of the factors that contribute to behavior, you know, like we talked about with the legs idea, where we have to look at the learning history, the environment, the genetics, and the sense of self. Those are all really important, not just for dogs, but for kids as well. But the main thing here in this particular case, I want to go back to addressing this parent who's overwhelmed and scared because her dog has bitten her children. And I want us to consider bandwidth. Right. So anytime I help a client or you as 
other dog people might help clients or whatever, um, we need to think about the capacity of the people we're working with. Like, what are they actually capable of doing? And if you're a parent listening to this, I'm asking you to try as best you can to just evaluate what are you capable of doing as a parent? Do you have the bandwidth to have a dog and a baby at the same time? Because maybe you don't, and there's no shame in that. But having a baby and a puppy at the same time, for example, is so hard. And I often encourage my clients to wait until their youngest child is sometimes five or six years old before they get a dog. And a lot of people don't like that advice and they don't want to listen to it because they want a puppy. And if I want it, I can have it. And that's fine. You do you. But I think it really helps when we realize that our kids are a little bit easier to manage when living with a dog, when they can follow simple instructions or follow multi-step instructions. And a child under the age of five or six is not really going to be able to do that very well. And that then sets us up to feel really frustrated because it makes us feel like our kids are bad or defiant or not listening. And instead, we really have to think about what our children are developmentally capable of doing. I'm sorry, my old dog is having some feelings right now. We're going to ignore those. Um, I want, again, to think about parents and uh, their financial resources. I know this seems like a strange thing to think about, and you shouldn't have to be a rich person to have a dog and raise children at the same time. But in order to be a responsible dog parent, you need to have enough financial resources so that you can afford the veterinary care, the grooming care, the behavioral support or training um, that you need so that you can have a dog who is healthy and feeling good in their body living with your family. And so if you have a dog that's biting your children, you need to really evaluate, do I have the financial resources to pay a behavior consultant or trainer or veterinary behaviorist the money that they deserve because they have a lot of skills and have done a lot of work to grow their skill set, their education, their professional development, etc. Do I have enough funds to pay those people for their expert advice so that our family can live together in harmony? And if you cannot afford that, then that's something you really need to think about in an honest way. And again, I don't judge anyone regardless of their financial circumstances. But if you have a dog that you can't financially invest in so that everyone is safe and happy living together, then you shouldn't have that dog. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that because (laughs) I finally got to the point where I can be honest and share a professional opinion that I believe is solid, right? Just like... I would not recommend somebody getting a doodle if they can't invest in a good dog groomer every four to six weeks or invest in learning how to groom their dog themselves because then those dogs will get matted and then somebody will have to shave them and then people are upset um, and blaming other people, blaming the groomer, for example, when in reality that was an avoidable problem, right? So we need to look at the whole picture And as parents who are already, you know, strapped thin, um, we need to realize that 
we have to set people up for success. And if they don't have the resources to be successful, then maybe that dog shouldn't live with that family. Another thing to think about is what the space is like that they live in. So if you are living with your in-laws and they have another dog who's maybe not trained and the kids and dogs are running all over the place and behavior problems are creeping up, um, maybe not behavior problems, that's the wrong way to put it, but maybe behaviors that you're uncomfortable living with, they may not actually be a problem. They may be normal, but you may have a hard time living with those things. If you're living in a financial, I'm sorry, in a housing situation where you don't have much control of the environment, then it's going to be really hard to instigate any change in the relationship between your dogs and kids. It's a lot easier when you're living in your own space and you get to make the decisions as the parent about who goes where and when, what kind of exercise they get, what kind of enrichment they get. That goes for the kids and the dogs. So really the main point here is that parenting is so hard and if you are not a parent, I don't really know that you have much business giving parenting advice or shaming a parent for things that happen and saying things like, you should have better control of your kids. Because if you have a child who's just hanging out, reading a book or doing an art project and that child gets up to move and the dog bites them, I'm sorry, but that child has not done anything wrong and we need to really evaluate (laughs) whether or not we want dogs living with us that are so sensitive to sudden environmental contrast that the children can't even move freely in their own home. And this is assuming that the child was just moving like a normal person, right? And a lot of kids don't move like normal people. Toddlers don't move like normal people. They move like drunken sailors. They're unpredictable and they're loud and they scream and they fall down a lot. That's hard for dogs, but there are kids that are older, such as the children that this poster was asking about. Her kids, I think, were 10 and 12 or something. Those kids are more in control of their bodies. They're not necessarily inappropriate all the time, but they should have the right to move freely in their own home without being scared all the time that the dog is going to bite them in the face. So instead of blaming the parent for having inappropriate, rude children, maybe we need to consider that there is a possibility that this dog doesn't want to live with kids, this dog is unsafe to live with kids, and then propose some appropriate alternatives. Now, in this particular case, I'm not going to say what those appropriate alternatives might be because there's so much information that we do not know about the scenario here. But what I can say is that it is likely that the dog may not need may not benefit from continuing to live in this house. And what happens after that is not something that I can predict or suggest because I don't have enough information. All right, let's talk about the kid piece of this um, because there is a lot to consider when we are a parent with kids of different ages or if you're a dog trainer or behavior consultant working with clients who have kids of different ages. First of all, I really hate the expression, kids will be kids or boys will be boys. I think that kind of statement can be a cop-out for a lack of management. However, I do think that some people do use that as an excuse. 
um, for poor behavior, right? Just saying, well, kids are kids and kids are unpredictable and, you know, you get what you deserve if you're unpredictable or <laughs> whatever. Um, but, but there is a grain of truth to it that kids are unpredictable. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm talking myself in a circle here, but it is really important that we don't just assume that kids being kids are bad kids, right? Kids experiment with the world and they test boundaries and they see what they can get away with just like dogs do and we also have to understand that kids behave differently depending on a ton of really important criteria such as whether or not they have neurodiversity or whether or not they were born up full term or whether or not there were drugs or alcohol or other substances being consumed during the pregnancy or I mean, any number of a million different things. Sometimes kids are left to their own devices because parents are stretched thin and can't watch every second of every day. I mean, no one can watch every second of every day. And so kids are going to get into trouble, not because they're bad or because they're evil or because they're naughty, but because they're children who want to experiment with the world. It's the same way with puppies that... When we aren't sure if a puppy is going to eat our house when we leave the house, then we make choices like we puppy-proof a room and leave the puppy in there, or we set up a pen or a safe space where the puppy cannot make mistakes. We need to do the same thing with our children. We need to prevent our children from making mistakes that might cause the dog to bite them. Now, The thing we need to understand also is that children are not necessarily developmentally capable of reading someone else's body language. And so as parents, we need to make a big investment in time or maybe money to have someone teach us these things. We can also buy books. You can watch YouTube videos. There are a variety of resources, but we need to fully commit that if we are going to live with a dog, that we need to understand how our dog feels. And dogs express that in a variety of ways. Sometimes they're very subtle and it really does help to have a coach who can help you learn what those things are. But not only that, you need to learn how to teach your children what your dog is feeling as well. Because if kids are playing with a noisy toy or they're yelling or they try to hug a dog who may or may not like it, the dog is likely going to give some body language signals that say, hey, could you please stop that? I don't like it. And if we aren't able to read what that dog is saying, then that dog is going to escalate its communication. Usually it goes to a growl next, which some parents really worry about, as you should. And if the behavior doesn't stop that's causing the growl, then the dog may bite. Now, in this case, the dog that is being discussed in this post This dog has what we call poor bite inhibition, which means that this dog is expressing a a pretty big willingness to use its teeth on a child, right? So instead of walking away or continuing to growl, the dog bites. The dog says, you know what? I don't like this. I am going to bite you. And the dog has done it more than once. So we say that this dog doesn't have a lot of restraint with bites. However, the dog is possibly expressing some restraint with the level of bite. The dog didn't bite the child's face off. The dog didn't bite the eyeball. The dog did bite the face, however, and possibly did use more restraint than some other dogs would have. But that's not to say that 
that's a safe dog to live with children. It's just a dog that we need to say, this dog will bite a child in the face if we don't recognize how the dog is feeling and intervene and help that dog to feel safer. Um, other things with kids, again, you know, we need to set up management systems, baby gates, barriers, closed doors, sometimes crates, pens, training, um, behaviors that are alternate so we can teach the dog to leave a situation if it doesn't like the situation. We can teach a dog to be comfortable wearing a muzzle. But if a dog is having really big feelings like this, this typically isn't something that you address by just training. You, you don't train this behavior out of a dog. What we need to do is change how the dog feels if the dog is healthy, right? We can change the dog, change how the dog feels sometimes. And sometimes that means giving the dog space, giving the dog respect, having the kids not approach the dog, but instead invite the dog to come say hi to them. If the dog wants to, it can say yes or no, right? But kids approaching dogs, kids sitting on dogs, near dogs, getting in their face, hugging them, squeezing them. These are all things a lot of kids want to do with dogs, but they are alarming enough to so many dogs that they will protest and bite. So then we have to decide, you know, should kids live with dogs at all? Well, yeah, I think they can and should, but it has to be the right dog. And that's hard. And that's something that you need advice for. If you are thinking about adding a dog to your family, you need to talk to a professional. And ideally, you need to talk to somebody who's really savvy at reading dog body language and understanding child development. Somebody like me or one of my colleagues, that would be a really good idea. If you're a dog professional and you don't really understand kids, there's no shame in saying, you know what, this isn't in my wheelhouse. Let me send you to my friend Michelle. That's another possibility or someone else. It doesn't have to be me, of course. But there are those of us who really love setting families up for good, safe dynamics. And also those of us who are not afraid to have a heartfelt crying conversation with families to say, you know what, I know you want what's best for your whole family. And in this case, I think maybe the dog shouldn't live with you anymore. So let's talk about next best steps. So this is a big topic, right? We need to talk about kids and normal kid behavior. And what is normal kid behavior at different developmental stages for children? What is normal for an average parent in terms of stress levels and capacity and ability to focus on more than one thing at once? Are they able financially and logistically to divide up the space and ensure that all family members are where they're supposed to be at any given time. That is so hard. And we need to not sit in judgment of people who can't make that happen. We also need to consider the dog itself, who the dog is, what the dog is capable of. And again, I'd really like to just revisit the whole idea of where we get advice in the first place, because I think that it's really important that you're not asking other parents how to do things, but instead that you go to other professionals who have this unique skill set so that we can set families up for success and give them the empathetic, compassionate support that they need. So I hope you found today's episode helpful and interesting. If you have any questions, 
please reach out to me. You can email me at michelle at poochparenting.net. I would be happy to support you if you are a parent and want help with your kids and dogs. If you're a dog pro and you want help with any of your cases, I would love to support you, give you an extra set of eyes, talk about it. We can evaluate your training plan and I can give you my feedback for whatever that might be worth. But at the end of the day, I really think it's important that we try to approach every family, every dog, every child, every parent with compassion because we don't know what it's like in their shoes and life with kids and dogs is really hard and we need to start there. All right, take care. Bye. If you enjoy the Pooch Parenting Podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Also, don't miss www.safekidsanddogs.com if you are a parent with dogs and could use a little extra support. I would be happy to be on your team. Take care.